Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of A Bit Spursy. I'm Barney. I'm Dan. And we also have a special guest. It's me. That's right, Tim. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Our Chelsea sporting friend, uh, Tim, uh, who we had on a few weeks ago. Yeah. And we thought, you know what? Lots happened. Let's bring him back. <laughs> Let's bring him back on because, yeah, it's uh, there's some things that have happened that you, you you might not have, you know, you might not have clocked. They're pretty small details that concern both Chelsea and Spurs. So we thought it'd be a good week to have him on. Didn't expect to be back so soon, but hey, it's, uh, it's been a wild week. <laughs> Uh, it has, it has. Um, look, let's just get the Everton game out of the let's way just as get quickly it out of the as way. possible. Yeah, cool. Um, all right, so it was uh, terrible. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was bad. Yeah. Um, Spurs lined up uh, playing with some wing backs. Mm-hmm. We thought it could be attacking. We thought it could be not. We could, thought like, okay, they might be pushing up. They might give Everton a go. Uh, Everton lined up with the exact same formation yep. uh, back against us. And in short, it didn't really work out for us. No, it did not. Um, in fact, if Harry Kane doesn't play, I don't think that we score because those two efforts that he had were both, you know, his own individual brilliance. It's sort of, uh, yeah. Like they were well-taken goals. They were. I mean, they were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, credit credit to Harry Kane, obviously. He, he did a fantastic job. But, um, yeah, the, the rest of them didn't have a great game. No, the, it, it was a pretty, pretty drab performance. Um, and, like, realistically, Everton... I don't want to say Everton deserved to win, but, um, you know, it really was a get-out-of-jail card by Harry to get the draw there. Definitely, definitely. Yep, it was it was so average. And uh, after this game, it was so similar to other results that we've had in that it was so drab and so flat. Um, I just want to go on record and say that I said to Dan, I don't know if we need to record a pod this week. Let's wait until after Southampton <laughs> or after the Cup. Um, and, of course... <laughs> Uh, a lot of other things have happened, which now we should get into because uh, is there anything more we can really say about yeah. the Everton game? Was there anything? Well, I think, look, the most important thing, uh, apart from the Everton game from last week, mm. was the Dulux dog. Oh, uh, yes. Which I, I was thinking, yeah, when you said, look, we, do we need to record on Tuesday? There's probably yeah. not much because the Everton game was poor. Mm. I started making notes of, yeah, what else happened this week? You know, yeah. all right, with the Dulux incident, oh, that could pad, it, pad out the episode a little yeah. bit. Uh, but now, like you say, there's so much more to get through. But we just should probably draw attention to the fact that um, uh, you, you probably have heard about this, but uh, Dulux uh, were announced as the official paint sponsor for Tottenham Hotspur and then immediately took to Twitter to just start tearing us apart. Yeah. Um, viciously, like savage birds. Yeah, it was unbelievable. And my favourite part of it, um, I, I mean, I thought the burn, obviously I'm professional, but I thought it was pretty funny because <laughs> then Dulux released a statement being like, we don't know what happened, but we will investigate it. It's like, <laughs> whoever runs your social media? <laughs> like, what? It's Kevin from marketing. Yeah, exactly. Clearly Kevin from marketing. Kevin. Yeah, goddamn Kevin. Um. And then, yeah, but then it, it was a little quiet. But then the next day, I think Spurs, um, they replied once Dulux apologised mm. uh, and said, you know, we'll gloss over it this time. Oh. Um, Daniel Levy wrote that himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, look, that's what happened next week. Let's get into <laughs> Yeah, let's, let's get, get into, into the, main, the main mean potatoes from uh, the last uh, 48 hours. Sweet. Jose Mourinho... He's gone. He got sacked. Relieved of his duties, the official statement said. Uh, Dan, how are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling it's so weird. Like I know we're going to talk about all the Super, New- Super League news um, mm. later, but it's it feels 
I feel kind of just a, a little bit numb. Mm. Uh, not in like necessarily a bad way though, but it mm. just feels like there is so much going on that we haven't really had time to be able to process the Jose leaving. Mm. Um, you know, you know, in in sort of as much you know detail as we would normally if it just happened on a regular week. Mm. So I think overall I'm a little relieved. Yep. Um, it was just. It, it just wasn't getting better. Um, and, yeah, I think, look, coming into the League Cup, like we, we were talking over the last couple of weeks, like how deflated we were feeling in the lead up to this League Cup and the lack of excitement because it just seemed inevitable that we were just going to get thrashed by Man City. Um, so I think there seems to be a, at least a bit of a relief from that state of mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we go into that game now with pretty much nothing to lose. Um, with Ryan Mason being announced as the caretaker manager, a guy who's managed, at, you know, in the youth setup, but hasn't managed a senior game before, who is also somewhat of a, a cult hero after his injury. And um, he's been so uh, forefront about his support for Spurs. He went through the youth system. Um, people, are, I think it's a bit of a, um, maybe cynically, appointing him as a bit of a feel-good factor for the fans after the Super League stuff. Mm. Um, but also, you know, it really has that, well, who cares <laughs> kind of vibe coming into this weekend because, I mean, because of everything else that's been going on. Um, I think it's a, an interesting move. Tim, you you said um, before we started recording that you thought that it was pretty obvious that there was absolutely no plan after um, the way that Jose was sacked and what's happened now. Yeah, I think... Well, I don't know that the higher ups at, at Spurs. I, I wouldn't have thought that they, you know, they were so quick when they, um, when Poch was let go and Jose was brought in. It was like the following day, right? And and this time round, I don't know. It's, it's just it seems a little bit strange. I think to to let Jose go. I think did they initially say that Ryan Mason would be in charge for the for initial game, and then obviously they've announced that he will now be in charge for the rest of the season. So. I, they obviously haven't got a, a backup or maybe they've asked the backup and the backup's not ready or I'm not really sure, but it does seem all a bit. Uh, also, I think maybe like if they were so upset about him or how it's been going after that game against Everton, you would have thought the following day it would have happened. Well, from what I've read, it actually happened the night of. So it happened after the game, okay. but they didn't announce anything until Monday. Mm-hmm. Well, as in they made the decision the night of the game, but they actually sacked him on Monday morning, right? I've read differently to that, that they actually sacked him on Friday. Oh. Yeah. Because I've also read that they just decided on Friday, but I then read that apparently they sacked him on Friday. So, Oh, right. Mm. There you go. Okay. Yeah. But it is interesting, like with what you said about with Pochettino, when he got sacked, Jose was in within what was like a number of hours. I can't remember. There were so many moments leading up to the game. Um where he did get sacked with the Europa League uh, knockout and then a few other results, Man United, that it felt like those were games that could lose a manager his job. Mm. And this 2-2 was just kind of this insipid, you know, draw. Similar to Pochettino where it sort of tailed off towards the end and there was that Brighton result and there was also a result, I think it was at Bournemouth, that were both not good. But it was they were delaying because they were trying to organise the Mourinho thing. Whether with this it was like this sort of innocuous match and they fire him, but there's no there's no backup. Unless they're trying to beat Bayern Munich to the post for Nagelsmann. 
uh, and they've realised that they need to get that into gear now. I don't know. Stuff, I suppose, maybe. Yeah. I I almost feel that it was like just the 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 final straw, and I think that um, my theory is that like Daniel Levy is he loves Bale. Yep. Like it's his returning crown jewel that like ever since Bale left, he's wanted to bring him back. And now it's leading up to a cup game, which albeit it is the Carabao is like the, the least, you know, um, prestigious cup out of every competition that we've been in this season, but it is still a cup. Um, I almost kind of feel like he was, Levy was hoping that maybe we'd start getting a little bit of an upturn in results in the run up to that, because I think he'd love nothing more than to see Bale there lifting up a trophy um, you know, he's brought back mm. the, uh, the prodigal son and there we go. <laughs> Victory, come on, you Spurs, here we go. So I almost think that it was just kind of like, all right, if we finally get it together against Everton and we turn it around, uh, then, okay, cool. Maybe we can have a positive result against Southampton, go into that Sunday game um, against City and actually have a chance of, of winning something. Um, the other things I, I was reading as well was that, um, you know, in recent, in the last couple of weeks, Jose in his press conferences, he's been saying a lot of things like, I can't comment on that. I can't talk about that. Um, and now there've been a lot of reports that have come out saying that, you know, the club for quite a while has been saying to him, Hey, stop slagging off all our players in public. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And then it almost seems like in the last week or two, he's kind of like, um, you know, a sulking little boy who wants to like get stuck into our team, but has been told off and told he's not allowed to. Yeah, it's so funny. I love that, you know, he's been so sulky in those press conferences where oh, I cannot comment, I can't. Oh, you know, I can't. You asked me to go into the analysis, but I cannot. And it's like, <laughs> oh, well, you were, you know, it was baffling at the time because it was like, oh, you were fine doing it like three days ago. But yeah, obviously <laughs> the message got through yeah. finally, but maybe too late. And it seems like it was too late. And um, you know, it's, it's always so difficult to know because, you know, one thing's reported, then something else was reported, then something else was reported. And you, you're never really going to know exactly what happened. But um, given now a number of reports are kind of saying that, like, you know, the, the dressing room has been lost for a while. Um, from the public information that we do know, like Hugo after the Dynamo game coming out and saying the squad's not together at all, um, there's divisions in the team, all that sort of stuff, this now seems to make sense with that narrative. So I think we can kind of say, yeah, it seems like he did disrupt a few too many people um, in the dressing room. And you really just need to fall out with one player to suddenly fall out with half the team Mm. because, you know, they've got their best buds. um, Then they've got their best buds. And then suddenly there's two factions in the the dressing room. And, yeah, Jose's never been good at, like, hiding when a player's out for – he always blows it up into something – uh, more than it needs to be. So, yeah. I think I read somewhere that Kane was the only one left that was still like loyal to him. I don't know that, how much truth there is to that. but um, I'm so pleased you've brought that up because Sam Roden has been on fire on Twitter in the last 24 hours and The Athletic reported that Harry Kane was the only person left that was in with Jose and every post I have seen about that, Sam Roden has commented with photos of people looking confused or saying they've got no idea, lying, blah, 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 blah. So I, I I think maybe he probably has lost. I mean, you know, you look at uh, the way that he's acted, you would assume that he's lost a fair majority of it, but I don't think it was just Harry Kane. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think know. that's fair. That's yeah. like there's definitely players like, okay, there's no way he has support from Bale and Ali. No. Absolutely no way. Yeah. Um, 
obviously Danny Rose, we don't even need to go there. Oh, <laughs> did mean, you see the photo of Danny, <laughs> Danny Rose arriving at Tottenham training? Yeah, with his head out the car head window. Out the car window and apparently he was like, what are you all doing here? Yeah. <laughs> and laughing. <laughs> What do you think that means though? Got like um, for which? Is, what's your next game? Is Southampton? Southampton. So yeah. I suppose in terms of um, like team selection, you have all these players that haven't been playing. I Ali Bale to an extent. Danny Rose is still around, right? Mm. Um, so <laughs> there's like, zero chance of Danny Rose playing. There's absolutely zero. No, chance of that. yeah, okay. But like, who do you think might like line up in this Southampton game? Do you think Ryan Mason will stay safe, or do you think? Uh, like we'll go off tr- just training, I suppose. I think at this stage, um, because we've been criticised so much under Jose of, of playing it safe and playing to the opposition's strengths and um, and going like, um, okay, how can we stop the opposition? How can we stop them? How can we stop them? Uh, I would say the instructives from him would be to just get the team going for it and to some extent and just, you know, expressing themselves, playing with some freedom in the Southampton game mm. to try and build whatever confidence we can as a team for Sunday. I would expect Bale to be starting though. Yeah, on on uh, against Southampton. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think it will be, you know, that whole like back to basics kind of yeah. vibe. I think it, it probably will be that and they won't play defensively like they have. I'm predicting, I reckon it's going to be a 4-3-3, <laughs> just putting it out there. Um, if he starts a Winx Sissoko midfield, I'm going to bury myself in a hole in the ground <laughs> and not come out ever again. I'm yeah. going to dig my own grave. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. All right, well, let's hope that he does it. Because yeah. <laughs> you're very crucial to the podcast. Yeah. Party, so. <laughs> we just have to stick a microphone yeah, there we go. Yeah, in the soil. And Tim, now you'll be, get roped into co-hosting a Spurs podcast. <laughs> yeah, wow, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, it's really going to be interesting to see because also there's, you know, to some extent, the management of the players of like, okay, we've got to start strong against Southampton. We've got to show something. But then also the cup game is only, you know, three days away, four days away. Mm. So, I mean, you can't sort of like tire out too many players in that team. No. Um, also Kane with this injury, yeah, um, it seems like he's out. It seems like if he has any chance of getting back for Man City, it might be a similar thing to like the Champions League final mm. where it was like just on the morning of like Kane's fit and he's yeah. not fit at all. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not sure. But I, I agree with you. It's like if we go into this game and we have Wings and Sissoko, that doesn't really sort of show, okay, cool, Jose's gone, um, Mr. Evil Man is away. Yeah. Uh, now we can have fun and party and and, and try and play. Um, let's play with them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean I'm – very much hoping that, you know, it's not the case. I'm, I'm just hoping for like a good vibe <laughs> for, for the rest of the season. Like just the players look like they're enjoying themselves. We play in a way that we are actually trying to attack the opposition. Um, yeah, I, I would be very happy with that. And like it's Ryan Mason. Like what? He's 29 and he's wow. in, charge, in charge of Spurs, um, which is, yeah. you know, like – a great story considering, you know, his, his injury when he was playing for Hull. Like it is very – like if this is PR by Spurs to get the fans. Like they've got me. They've got me with it. <laughs> I, yeah. I think you're right and I think it is, um, like you say, going after a good vibe. Mm. It's like, well, who could they appoint who's within the club, knows enough of the team and what's going on and everything there. Like they don't really have too many other options right now. Um, because also like what – 
you know, what, what manager, um, you know, even if, you know, the Holy Grail of Nagelsmann, which is mentioned everywhere, mm. um, despite, you know, whatever, regardless of whatever chance we have of signing him, like he's not going to come at this stage in the season, mm. come in the week of like a League Cup game and try and like do something. Like it's just not going to happen. So I think you're right. I think it's like a play to go, all right, you know, as good PR as we can. Ryan Mason, who was a bit of a fan's favourite in the sense of like he was a good boy. Mm. Um, he wasn't necessarily a superstar player. Mm. Um, but then, you know, um, he was always talked about, I think by Potch as like having like an incredible football brain. Um, and so it didn't seem a surprise that he went into management and you know, coaching yeah. <laughs> and, now, and now management. Um, so I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a good, just a, just a good good vibes. Let's see if we can get something going. Mm. Uh, maybe they'll do it for their mate Ryan. Yeah. Try and try and get something together. It would be incredible though if Ryan Mason comes in and then wins against Southampton and then wins against City and then he goes one cup in two games. Yeah, that would be unbelievable. Like I want, obviously, I want us to win those next two games, but I don't want a Tim Sherwood situation. Not that Ryan Mason is anything like Tim Sherwood, where at the end of the season he's like, "Well, I've done a pretty good job. I mean, why don't you just give me the job?" <laughs> you know, uh, because that would be. A bad move. We need to get Nagelsmann. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely. Yeah. Um, I guess you know, Tim. You've been through this before with Mourinho uh, twice. Uh, twice, yes. So how how did you feel when he went? Um, look, I, I wasn't surprised. I, I think when you first signed him, when he first came to Spurs, obviously there was a mixed reaction from Spurs fans and Chelsea fans because the clubs have such a big rivalry. But I remember, Barn, you were so, like, you were ex- pretty excited because, yeah. you know, it's Jose Mourinho. He's, you know, he, as he says in that documentary, he's, he's like Hollywood in football, right? And it's cool. And no matter what's happened at some of the other previous clubs, there's still a hope and a belief that he's going to bring what he's had previously to your club, which I think is fair because he is a great manager and he's done amazing things. Um, but I think I remember there was, you know, the, the part of the positivity around people, but I always thought, oh, like, I don't know. Or at least part of me was like, you know, this might work out. Like it really could, but I know how it ends. Like at no point was I thinking that it was going to end really easily or like, you know, like wins a trophy. Cool. I'm done now. I'm going to go home and you know, pass the gauntlet on to someone else. I think I, yeah, I knew how that story would end because I've, I've been a part of it twice from, you know, a supporter of, of my club and all the other clubs he's been at too, but yeah. I mean, it's similar as well to what Rob, um, our man, you friend, uh, who was on last week was saying as well, like similar sort of feeling of like, yep, I know how this ends. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we all knew how it ends. <laughs> like it always ends badly with Jose, but we just didn't get the second act of the yeah. Jose movie. We went from first to third um, very quickly. Yeah. The, uh, he didn't win. In no, the end. <laughs> he didn't win. <laughs> the climax at the end of the movie was just losing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That was it. It was like Sunderland Till I Die <laughs> version yep. of Jose Mourinho, um, which is a great documentary. Um, yeah, so from the outside, Tim, like seeing how Spurs have performed over this season and, and before that when Jose first came in, what are your thoughts about how his tenure went at Spurs? Uh, those games were like watching some of your games. <laughs> it was like, 
I've said this before. Like it just it it's such a strange feeling to watch something happen all over again, but it's not my club. And I don't know, I think overall I understand why he was brought in. Uh, you know, at the start of this season, I thought, well, this is maybe going to, you know, was it 10 games in? I think you're at the top of the league and I thought maybe he'd actually pulled it, everything together. Um, but, hey, I don't know. I think it's, uh, it's it's a sad end for for Jose and I suppose for you as well. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm stoked he's gone. To be honest with you. <laughs> um, I was very excited when Tim's right. I was very excited when he came in because it felt like such a high-profile signing, and obviously things hadn't gone that well at Man U. But like you also said, Tim, there was this belief that it was like, well, this guy is, you know, air quotation marks serial winner, and we have a good squad, and if he's going to instill this sort of mentality that this winning mentality. Um, that's going to be great. Like I, I can take us playing pretty dour football if the results are good. Um, but the results weren't. So it was just dour football. Yeah. Um, and I think there was that feeling of like, you know what, we can take him for a year or two, we, yep. even if it's not great. Um, and those are all the discussions when we were when we were winning. It was like, we can put up with this if it mm. means we win something. Uh, he's a serial winner, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I think there was definitely that feeling of like, all right, you know, like you're saying, buddy, we knew how it would possibly yeah. probably end, mm. um, but we could put up with it <laughs> yeah. in order to get the results. And I think things just kept dropping off and kept dropping off and kept dropping off, mm. um, which is where we find ourselves now. Um, but you are in a cup final, which, uh, well, depends if you're allowed to play in the cup final. We like Stephen Bradbury our way to this cup final as well. Like what we had a, a bye and then we had, we played like, Someone in the like League One Championship, and did we play anyone in the Premier League leading up to this game? Um, I don't, oh, I can't even remember. Yeah, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> yeah. because as well, this game is supposed to happen in uh, at the end of January, end of Feb, I think. Yeah, um, and then it's just been pushed back so long mm. from where. It, so I can't even remember what like how we got through this competition, but um, I always kind of feel when you, when it does come to the League Cup. Um, you sort of one minute you're in like the, you know, the third round or something and then next it's semifinals yeah. and then suddenly it's the final. And I, I, how did we get here? Oh, we're in it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yeah, look, you know, we're going to go for it. Hopefully, hopefully a bit more rejuvenated and, yeah, farewell, uh, Jose. Farewell, I, Jose. Can't really see him getting another gig in, uh, in the Premier League anytime soon. You don't think like someone like an Everton or a West Ham or something like that would? No, what like Everton? I, I'd say they'd be very happy with with Ancelotti at the moment. Like, yeah, I mean, if they went from Ancelotti now to Mourinho, I mean, I think he's just like he's he's proven that maybe yeah, you know, he he doesn't necessarily have the magic touch mm. that he did have when he went to. Uh, to Man U. A lot of people say that there's, you know, well, you can't just blame Jose, you can blame the Spurs players, you can blame the Spurs board, all of those sort of things. But I think his name is definitely tarnished quite a lot now, given that it has been a pretty, there's a pattern there. There's like a, it's it happened at Chelsea, it happened at Man U, it's happened again at Spurs. So it's not like before where it happened at Chelsea and then it happened at Man U. Mm. You're like, okay, coincidence. Mm. Uh, now it feels like the pattern has been locked in. Oh, yeah. Um, and you've got to be pretty daring because he's not cheap either and he's not going to suddenly go you know what i'll go manage wolves and i'll 
I'll do it for five mil a year. Um, yeah, I, I think he's probably not doesn't have much of a a, a future in England. I think he was. Uh, I remember when he took that kind of when he left Man United and then he had a, an extended break when normally he would go straight back into management. And he was on, you know, like he was doing punditry and stuff like that. I actually really enjoyed him when he was just, you know, calm and talking about football. And when he talks about football, he obviously is such an incredibly intelligent person when it comes to that. And listening to him speak about all things football was was really interesting. So I'd like to see him go back to that, to be honest, and just um, hear him discuss like the game in general. I'd take him as a pundit. Yeah, I'd definitely take him as a pundit. Yeah, I mean, I remember, yeah, that period he's like, obviously he's a very charismatic guy, he's very clever. His analysis is always really good. It'd be great. I hope I hope that's what happens. Uh, to, and I, I think as well, I was just going to add in that there's, I think it was maybe in a, in a piece by The Athletic where they, they did quite a detailed breakdown about him leaving. And I think one of the points they made was around him, uh, you know, not being able to connect with the, the young players mm. of today and it being a different generation. Again, you don't know exactly how accurate that is because, I mean, you know, different players are going to have different mentalities, of course, anyway. Yeah. But, I mean, if you're him, like, you know, you had so much success before. Like, I get that, you know, he lives and breathes football to some extent, but, like, surely after a while you're just going to go, you know what, being a pundit is not a bad gig. Mm. Like, you just sit on a couch, watch a few games and, like, just talk about them. Um, and he's had such a decorated career that he doesn't really have anything else to prove. Yeah. Um, so unless he unless he really really still loves it and wants to like go and give it a go and just keep going, like just going to punditry. I've always wondered what he would be like as a national team manager, and I know it's a very different job because they're not you know with their players all the time. But I wonder what he would be like in in charge of a country, whether it's his own country or or another. I think maybe that would be a really interesting thing to see because I think he probably could get a lot out of his players in those moments when he has them and, yeah. Yeah, I think that would be interesting. I mean, there's a bit, you know, a bit of talk about him taking the Portugal job mm-hmm. and maybe that his style of opposition analysis and the way that he doesn't have a fixed uh, tactical style can suit international football where you've only got a limited amount of time with the players that he can implement that. But the counter to that is that um, he also doesn't run attacking drills <laughs> apparently and, and you know, evidently from some of our forward play this year. And I wonder whether that will also fail in the international competition or whether it won't matter because, you know, whatever i don't know well you also feel that because of you know his um you know apparent lack of you know fitness related drills and stuff as well mm. um which has not just come out recently but also in claims by like from you know previous man U players and, and from what happened mm. all there um and i think barney last week you're talking about like how he got rid of sport this whole sports science department and all that yeah. i kind of feel like if you're going into a national tournament where you're playing every few days like you're gonna have to have your fitness levels up mm. a little bit so yeah, like it, it'd be interesting to see him in, in that role. But um, yeah, it's so weird. Like the jury's just so out on on what he can do and how sort of, you know, good he'll still be. Uh, one thing for sure is I do like him being around somewhere because he just comes up with these uh, just wonderful quotes. Uh, but now I'm, I'm just really looking forward to that not being at the team that we support. Yeah, me too, me too. I was excited for his, the fun of Jose, but so quickly we got him turning that 
inward to the club and that's not fun ever. The other thing that really surprised me that I think was in that athletic article was that it was like the players all hated Jao Sacramento. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, what? He looks so inoffensive on the touchline, but like, no, he's the worst. I read that too. And it's always so funny when you just see a source from inside the dressing room. Mm. Like, who is that? Is that Kitman Steve? Is that yeah. like, is that a player? Is that just making up off hearsay? And it's like, we'll attribute to it. Well, it's a source within the dressing room. Mm. Um, it's the mole from within the club. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was such a, a, a interesting detail that, yeah, it's like no one can connect with Jow. He's, like, <laughs> yeah. he's just really awkward and like... <laughs> No, you know, no one really gets on with him. So I'll look at this stage. Yeah, I think to summarize it all up, it is good riddance in a way. Like I, mm. I wish no ill towards Jose mm. moving forward. He's also got a very large paycheck to um, to leave on. So, mm. yeah. One thing now that we live in a post-Jose at Spurs world that I've been thinking about is Daniel Levy, the, you know, the businessman, he's very calculating. Um, the fact that he has, you know, done what he's done and sacked Jose just before the final and is banking on, you know, this concept of new manager bounce and refreshment to get Spurs A, into the Europa League, but obviously B, you know, being competitive in this cup final. Um you know, he's he's really – it's a big risk because we could go out there and get smashed 6-0, you know, because Ryan Mason, who doesn't have that much coaching experience, is up against Pep and City's team and that's the way it goes. And, you know, it's like sending the, the lamb to the slaughter in the sense that Ryan gets to come in and it's cool and then we get smashed. Relying on all these sort of like cliche constructs about um, how we – you know, yeah, like I said, the new manager bounce and like the players will feel happy and so therefore they'll play better and all this kind of stuff. It seems it seems odd to me. But what about, okay, the, I, I agree with I think I agree with that. Mm. But trying to look for a positive way to, mm. to, to spin it so we could watch the game on Sunday and have some hope. I can't wait. What if Ryan Mason is such an unknown quantity? Mm. Pe- Pep's got no idea how a Ryan Mason team really sets up to play. Yeah. So, I mean, it could be the lamb going to the slaughter or it could be the lamb being the little, you know, evil genius. The little wolf. Well, I don't know why he's evil, but like (laughs) the little savvy genius who turns into the wolf yeah, um, and goes after Pep. Like this does feel we're in fan fiction kind of territory to to bring him up this much. Mm. Um, And I think you are right. It is like um, it is a – yeah, like again, one of the most decorated managers in history Mm. in Pep uh, against a complete rookie – at this level, but it almost seems like there's there's so little pressure then to lose because if Ryan gets thumped, like oh, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at yeah, all. No, um, it feels like things were so dire under Jose that the fans just wanted not Jose. Yeah, yeah. Whoever well, that was going to be. Mm. Well, I mean, I'm excited for the match now. I wasn't before. I wasn't looking forward to it at all because there is the potential for sports movie. You know, where he comes in against all odds and wins this game against one of the most decorated managers ever. Um, you know, the hope there and the potential for that is exciting despite the fact the likelihood of it happening is so low, um, which I guess makes it exciting. Um, but that, you're right, that would be a fun watch though. Oh, yeah. I mean, even if we're losing, it still would be, be such a spin out being like Ryan Mason 
fucking is the like I want Danny Rose on the sideline holding a beer watching the game like yeah I yeah. want a bizarre formation I want like yeah. a two one two one four or something yeah like Mason's just been like reading up all these like old like you know Dutch footballing books and he's just constructed this insane formation <laughs> that has no business working whatsoever yeah and we just come out and it's just like yeah one sweeper and then like one wing back on one side and then like it's just completely nuts yeah but just so nuts that i mean it could possibly work mm. what kind of outfit is he going to wear though that's the most important question is he going for the tracksuit or is he going for the tie you know the the full the full shazam I think he's borderline like tuxedo. Like Ooh. Ryan's not going to – he's going to dress up. Yeah, I think he's going to dress up. I think he's going to dress up too. Top hat, tails, cane. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Can you imagine if Ryan <laughs> just comes out in a tuxedo with a top hat? Then I would be very quickly like, yep, this is my new manager. Yeah, oh, my God. Can you imagine Pep standing there and he's like – clothes that are way too young for him. <laughs> he looks over at Ryan Mason's there with a top hat on. He's playing um, against the like the younger version of the Monopoly man. Yeah. <laughs> Unreal. I would love that. Yeah, let's hope it happens. Oh, that would be special. So you said you thought Bale would start this weekend. Who do you think he uses this weekend to just try and like because he's playing two very different teams in the way that you would set up. Do you think he um just tries stuff out against Southampton? Like what's he what's he gonna do? Who's gonna play? I almost think that he would use that as a testing ground for Man City and just play. Mm. Because as well, for him to come in now. Have a game well tomorrow or the, the the day after, like yeah, in the next forty eight hours, mm. and then another game a few days later. It doesn't really seem like there's that much time to sort of like you know drill two different teams and two different tactics to go from that. So I must think it'll be putting out a team against Southampton that he would think is pretty much going to be what he'll play against City, mm-hmm. um, and at least trying to play the same um, style. Yeah, because I don't, I don't know. I, I just can't see there being enough, um, enough time to do anything else. Yep. But like, I, I just, I just feel that Bale is, like, Bale's just sitting there, mm. and it's like if we're thinking, okay, even if Bale isn't the old Bale, if even if he's not putting in, te- you know, um, allegedly as much as previously, like he's just got that extra level of quality which he's shown this season when he has played. Yeah. And he scored some very clinical goals. Yeah. Um, it just seems like he's. He has to play. Like, mm. what do you think is gonna um, gonna happen there? I I can't tell whether I'm just like high off Jose getting fired, so it's all wish fulfillment. But like like I said, I reckon a four three three. I reckon he's gonna play um, a Hoybier, Le Celso, and Endombele midfield. Um, obviously, if Kane's fit, Kane will play up front. Um, Son will play. Uh, and I, I think Bale will feature in those games. I don't know whether he'll start, but I think he'll definitely feature. I was just uh, going to ask if you, if Kale's not in, do you think Big Vin? Big Vin. Does he start, or do you think they'll be they'll you know he'll try and do something where he's pushing like either Son or Bale to sort of like lead the line up front? I reckon I'm skipping ahead past Southampton and mm. saying if Kane isn't playing, I think Son plays up front because. City play with such a high line, he's a perfect kind of player to break that, right? Yeah. To get through. Mm. I haven't seen a lot of of um, Vinny, so I don't know how fast he is, but I would assume that Sun's your man if he's going to go through. 
Mm. He can score, he can hold up play, he, you know, he can do a bit of everything. And then you can put your other good players on the wings beside him. I wonder whether one of the things that when Bale first came um, was that he didn't want to play at centre forward. Jose said that he didn't want to play at centre forward. And I wonder if he does play and plays at centre forward, I mean, that'll be just a hilarious dynamic because it was like, okay, well, there you go. But I think that would be a really good spot for him, especially if Kane's not playing. And I agree with you, Tim, about the Man City something. I think that it totally holds true. But I just want to see Bale play instead of forward. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it'll be, like, I think now we're looking at, like, what would be a fun option? Mm. <laughs> Bale, up, yeah. Bale up top, that'd be fun. Yeah. Like, that'd give us something. Um, and, like, you know, if you want to give City something to worry about, you know, if you've got Bale... Um, who's got the, he's got that wily kind of like, you know, old man sort of like a, a swagger now. Um, so he, like you just need to get him open and he's he's decent. Mm. He still showed that he's decent in the air. He's got a, a couple of good headers um, this season. His movement's still great. Um, he's not as fast as he was, so he's not really going around the outside and beating players for pace. So why not chuck him on through the middle? Um, yeah, get Sonny going down one side, get Lucas on the other. Um, it'd be interesting to see if like a player like Bergwijn comes back in. Um, but I'd, I'd probably say n- probably not. Mm. Like, but I, I I feel like Lucas is going to play. Yeah, I think so too. Um, do you know like since football might be exploding very soon, do you think there's any chance we'll be allowed to have Fernando Lorento back for just this game? <laughs> if there was some like loophole to this whole situation, yeah, where we somehow managed to like get Lorente, um, the corpse back, the corpse. On like a two-day loan, mm. uh, I'm all for that. Oh, I would be overjoyed. Just hipping balls in left, <laughs> right, and center, left hip, right hip. Unbelievable. I would love it. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm yeah. As I, I probably sound very excited. I, would you reckon Tanganga will play? Yeah, I think Mason. Given that he works with the youth team, yeah, like I think he's going to get a play like Tanganga in. I, I feel like he's probably going to have someone like a Divine or a Scarlet on the bench mm-hmm. at least and try and give them a run in one of these games. Yeah. Something because like these are also players he works with day in, day out. So, you know, I'd love for Tanganga to come in and, and be playing for the rest of the season. Um, I'd love to see, yeah, a Divine or a Scarlet. Like let's have a bit of fun with it. Mm. Who do you think plays at centre back? Um, I think Toby comes back in. Yep, so do I. You need that old head in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like who Toby plays with, I would prefer to see uh, Rodon. Mm-hmm. I think Toby and Rodon is our strongest combination at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, whether he goes for that, I'm not too sure. I feel like there's a chance we could get uh, maybe two different pairings for the games. Um, I think, look, someone like, because City, they've been playing like, like Jesus up front. Um, yeah, they've been swapping. They even played, I think, De Bruyne played up front in the Champions League, didn't he? Yeah, and he's injured. He is. I think. I think he's out. Yeah, I don't know if he's definitely out for the match or not. They were talking about it wasn't as serious as initially thought. Damn. But he, he might <laughs> yeah. also be. Um, uh, yeah, I, I think with City anyway, like their pace is really down the wings. Mm. Um, and... Through the middle, like they're obviously a very, very good team. Um, yeah, let's go, let's go, Toby in and Rodon on and, and then see how we go. Yeah, I think so too. I would like to see that. I, I mean, I want Tangang 
at centre back because we've never seen it. Oh no, he played in a three, I think maybe, but that would be very cool. Um, him and Toby, or Toby and Roden would be sweet as well. Um, on, I've just remembered that on the Kane being the only person left that loved Jose. Son has also come out with an Instagram post thanking Jose and and saying he's upset that he's gone. Uh, Pierre Hoybier also came out with one. Um, am I missing any? Or Dyer came out with one as well. Lucas. Um, I think there were one or two more. A couple of the youth players put yeah, up things. Yeah. Like Scarlett, mm. um, Lavinier. Yeah. Um, I think that's uh, – and there might have been another another one or two that came up, but it definitely hasn't been the whole team. No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, nothing on Delhi's Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Should we move from the Jose talk to the uh, death of football? Yeah. <laughs> Let's address the giant like football – sorry, the world exploding elephant that's in the room. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Super League. Yeah. Um, what, uh, in my opinion, what a horrible, horrible, horrible thing. Um, I don't know what either of your thoughts are about it. Holy dooly. <laughs> I'm pro Super League. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm not. Oh, no. no, I'm not. I'm, not. I'm, not. I'm, <laughs> I'm <laughs> I love the idea. No, I don't. I don't yeah. at all. I don't at all. Um, I'm, defi- I, I'm definitely anti Super League, mm. but also looking at it, I'm not surprised that this is where we are now. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't a shock. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are so many different reasons for that, which we can, you know, which yeah. we'll get into. But um, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea. And if it was a, you know, um, we're in a utopia where you can click your fingers and have the perfect world and the perfect footballing world. I don't think Super League exists in that. No. Um, but no. like it's, I'm, I'm really not surprised that this has happened. And I'm actually quite surprised that it's taken this long. Mm-hmm. For this to just be, you know, put put into motion, um, and actually going, yeah, we're doing it. Mm. I, yeah. I think I'm more surprised at how surprised the power of people in the game are. You know, like the heads of all these organisations seem to have been, you know, caught off guard by it. You see, there was all the talk about over the weekend. They started to hear murmurs about it. They started freaking out, thinking about what they can do to to counteract it. What what are the kind of laws around what they can do to sanction um, these clubs, et cetera. But they really seem to be blindsided. And, and maybe it is because a lot of the people that have been involved in this have also been a part of those organisations. So, you know, that's that's wild in itself that, you know, they're, they're in these meetings and then they're probably able to then take that information to their other meetings that they're in. So, um, oh, Definitely. Like they're sitting there. So, so Frank, you um, any murmurs about this Super League happening? Nope, nope, no, nope, nope. Don't know what you're talking about there. Uh, nope, nothing to worry about. And then they go off and then they have their Super League meeting. It's ridiculous. It is actually ridiculous that that has happened. Yeah, mm. it's eternal madness. The, the fact that it just so swiftly, because, you know, earlier earlier this year we've heard murmurs of the Super League again. And then I think on Sunday our time there was, a, it was like Super League might be happening and then all of a sudden all 12 of those clubs come out with press releases being like, whoa, we're in the exciting new Super League. <laughs> it was like, what? What is happening? Um, yeah, I, I just think it is. I, I, I'm with you, Dan, in that it's not surprising that this kind of thing is occurring, but also I just don't think that it should be something and, and this hasn't been happening that, Fans should be like, okay, well, I guess, 
I guess it's kind of, that's it. Like, you know, it's something that needs to be fought. Oh, definitely. And so just to, to clarify that point there of saying like, I'm, you know, not surprised by this. Yeah. It's definitely not to try and dull down fan reactions of going, uh, this is not good. Mm. This is not good. Yeah. Um, not, not at all. Like I think yeah. that's, that's very important um, mm. to, to be sort of raised right now. Um, I think just in the general scheme of things, um, it's it's just quite interesting that, you know, FIFA and UEFA are kind of like, it's like they're supervillains hiding in amongst the angry mob yeah. right now. Mm. And they're like, oh, yeah, you guys suck. You yeah. guys suck. <laughs> yeah. um, and whereas I, I honestly feel that in this whole sort of situation, there needs to be a lot more account of, accountability to sort of FIFA and UEFA. Absolutely. Um, in their role in creating this, you know, environment where this has happened. Mm. Um, because again, it's not something new and it's like the first discussions of this were happening in like, I think 98. Mm. Um, and it was sort of like, you know, quashed then, uh, I think mid 2000, something came back again. I think as well in about 2016, there are a bunch of clubs who were talking to UA from FIFA and going, Hey, we remember that thing. Super league. We're going to still want it. Um, and then UEFA, you know, they made some adjustments to the Champions League and we're like, oh, don't worry, everyone, Super League's gone, it's fine, and we're moving we're moving past that. So, like, it has been in the works for such a long time. Mm. Um, and, yeah, like, you know, UEFA and FIFA, they're such corrupt organisations themselves. Um, and I think almost even in their responses to this, there's still that, like, um, that's still that element of corruptness to it. Like their big response of like, oh, well, we're going to ban the players from uh, national teams and things. It's like you can't do that. Yeah. The players didn't do this. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you were bang on when you um, you made that point um, about the just the scapegoating the players for something that, you know, a, a few of them now and, you know, Klopp spoke as well and I think um, uh, Ole spoke about how they weren't part of the process of this happening and so like punishing them – for what their club's doing is so unfair. I think there's two ways to look at that. And, and I, I do think it's really unfair, but I think the they obviously there's that sense of their backs are against the wall and they feel like if they put pressure on these players to speak up, like if they put those pressure that pressure on these players, they then have to make a decision and go, do we also join in this chorus of saying something and therefore without us there is no football and... I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I think that's obviously what's happening there. And as as a broader issue of of what's happening, obviously the game has been there's so many different issues in it too with organisations and money and etc. Et but I think as much as we need to have those conversations, and I think that this is making us have those conversations or is making it more pertinent, it's more important to focus on what is currently happening and trying for everyone to just having one common goal of trying to stamp this out and then hopefully if that happens, then reconstruction period starts and everything, we look at the whole thing and look at how we can reshape systems and because it's a shock. Like this is, I've never seen anything like this in football ever. I don't know about YouTube, but I don't remember since I've been a football supporter, like to see this collective when when have you ever seen Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham fans come together in one voice on anything really, you know, and agree Never. on something? Only if one of those teams has been playing in a cup final 
then everyone like bands together to hate that team for yeah. like that day. Yeah. You're right. There's been no actual issue in football that has um, got so many fans to rally together. And I think on that note as well, like there's, I think um, Bamford came out um, and, and a few other players mentioned it as well, but they were saying like, yeah, like this, you know, this sucks and all this um, talk here, but you know, it's also kind of disappointing that, you know, UEFA don't tackle things like racism yeah. with the same ferocity that they're tackling something like this. Yeah. Um, and it's, again, fans of clubs don't band together to tackle racism Absolutely. on, on things like this. Um, there are obviously a lot of fans who are against racism, of, of course, but you do get fans throwing a lot of racist remarks back and forth mm. um, from different clubs. Mm. And um, But, yeah, in this sense, everyone's unified on this of like this is not, um, yeah, this is not right. This isn't sort of what should be happening now. Um, but yeah, it's like, it just seems like this is such a complex issue here. Mm. And um, I think like looking at it in the broader context of what's happening around the world, like, again, not to try and say, yes, this is a good idea, but to, to look at it and go like, okay, how did this happen? Why is this happening? What moves are being made here? And you kind of just have to think like, there are so many kind of neutral fans all around the world now and like all these clubs are huge brands. They're not like, you know, local clubs like they used to be. And most of the supporter base for these teams are located outside of the country of where they're located now. Um, so you can see why these clubs are going, how can we make as much money as we can? How can we get more interest from our, you know, supporter base? Like, you know, if they've got a couple of hundred, so, well, probably not a couple hundred, but if they've got like a couple of million fans in, you know, newer markets like um, like China or something like that, who they just, they don't want to see a, t- a top level team play against a, a team struggling in the league. They want to see these huge superstar sort of games. Um, so I almost think that like this is representative of a bigger like societal thing in yeah. terms of how the world is in general, um, which again is not excusing it, mm. but... I think it just adds to the like lack of surprise around it all. Football imitates life, right? In a way, that's essentially what's happening. It's mirroring society in in how everything else operates or, or what goes on. Definitely, and I mean, you, like you've got like Amazon, Apple, like they, brands are trying to get as globalized as possible. And I think now it's finally that football clubs are trying to follow suit with that. Mm. Um, which you know, it's not it's not necessarily great, but. Um, Again, I'm just so surprised that this hasn't happened already, and like mm. that we that this didn't actually sort of try. They didn't try to push it through ten years ago, yeah, or even five years ago. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I just like in terms of football, it's it's like the Avengers, like it's this whole like the greatest heroes ever all fighting together against the greatest villains. What will happen? Or like Godzilla versus King Kong. It's, it's that. They're trying to do that, right? It's like the blockbuster. Um, can you believe that Bayern Munich and PSG are playing again? And it's <laughs> like it's going to get old. Like the, the reason why those games are exciting now is because they don't happen every single week. So when they do happen, it is new and it's like what's going to happen? What happened last time? They haven't played since here. This has happened since then. We've got this sort of like long narrative or if a team's never played another team in the Champions League, like that's exciting. If we get this, you know, the Super League and it's just those 12 teams plus, you know, what is it, five others or eight others? Five others, 15. They want 15 plus another five. Okay, cool. Yeah, so there's the 12 teams and then there's three other 
clubs TBC, mm. whether they just haven't publicly attached themselves to it yet or they haven't been confirmed, we don't know. Mm. And then five teams that are invited on merit. Yeah, right. So, which is so, so generous of them. Yeah, wow, that's kind. Yeah. Because that's what Perez came out and said. He's like, no, 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 this is like, no, there are teams in there on merit too. We invite five a season. So that's, there are teams in there on merit. That's madness. Um, it's ridiculous. And like the, I think Perez, he did an interview earlier today, today yesterday, mm. um, where he said a lot of different things. And one of the things he also said was um, like 90 minutes might be too long for a football game. <laughs> yeah. People... Um, People want to be entertained. That might be a bit boring for them. Mm. Um, he also made a comment of like, oh, you know, fourteen to twenty-five year olds. They're they're, they're not they're, they're not football fans. They don't care. Um, so it really does seem as like they've kind. It's it's almost effectively taking like you know what Netflix and Amazon and Disney and everything's doing and trying to make this on-demand product where you can suddenly see. You know, you go into Disney Plus now and you can watch any Marvel movie you want mm. and like whatever 20 there are there. Um, I agree with you. It, it, it actually means that it makes them less special, but they just seem to be so focused on this idea of like we can have a blockbuster game every week. So this week you can watch Juventus Chelsea. Next week you can watch Real Madrid Man U. The week after mm. you can watch. And it just like, you know, I think that it's almost like they're trying to make this for a more casual fan base. Mm. Um to try and just get the best players in the whole world. <laughs> well, yeah. they are because we're called legacy fans. Are we called legacy fans now? They're, they have coined a term. <laughs> we are legacy fans or legacy supporters. So that is what encompasses any of us who have like an attachment to the football club and, and all the, the history and, and everything that comes with it. We're deemed as, as, as legacy fans and... And they're ang- angling this towards the future supporter, which is I don't know who, but well, I think it's it well, likely it's the casual fan. Yeah, it's the one that doesn't actually follow a team as much as they do. Just want to see, you know, the highest level of competition that they can each week. Um, and again, this is <laughs> this is not in support of it. Mm. Um, but it's like it's something that you look at it and you go. So many other industries have done it. And they get, you know, people talk about like, oh, it's really smart what uh, what Amazon Prime are doing and, and all that sort of stuff. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm kind of a bit insulted that we're now in like the legacy fan because <laughs> I think of that in terms of like um, like apps on your computer and stuff and when there's like the new, like new, you know, Mac Mail, new version or do you want to download legacy version? <laughs> it's like that's really kind of like telling <laughs> yeah. we're now all in that box. And what sounds like also sounds like one of those like golden oldies radio stations, like legacy FM. And they just play old, you know, like old 1920s tunes. Yeah. That surprises me. It, it, I find it interesting. Some of the, the chat that's been going on around how this is marketed towards the worldwide audience in, in Asia and Africa and, and here, but, you know, with the sporting culture here in terms – like in the AFL, if a player moves clubs, people are like, oh, my God, what? You know, like the clubs are so tied to where they're from, um, especially some of the older Victorian ones. I mean, we have seen a couple move in the past, but, you know, like there are still people that call Sydney, South Melbourne <laughs> and Brisbane Fitzroy. Um, There's still some bad blood lingering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say on that point, like, correct me if I'm wrong as well, because my AFL knowledge is not massively deep. But the, I mean, the AFLs have done a similar thing to what's happening now with this Super League. 
in the sense that, you know, previously you had all the state leagues and you had like the VFL, the SAFL, all, all these different. Mm. And then they go, how can we make? So if we, in this scenario, we map those, the Australian states to the different countries in Europe. Yeah. Go, how can we make one centralized league mm. to offer the best across the whole continent? Mm. The Super League. Yeah. Um, and th- they've done a similar thing mm-hmm. where they've extracted, um, you know, teams. And, like, I'm sure South Australia would have liked to get more teams in the AFL when that was formed. Mm. Um, but it was very much like, you know, the um, the Victorian cartel of clubs, yeah. which is effectively the, the, the Premier League in this scenario. And then you also see, like, you know, in Western Australia, the Waffle was, a, you know, fantastic, big competition, lots of big crowds um, and you get West Coast Eagles that stands for a conglomerate, Fremantle that stands for the Fremantle teams. But also I think this is actually a really good sort of metaphor for um, the Super League because those clubs now in the waffle are like they have no money, no one goes to watch um, because everyone watches the AFL because that that is it's the best of the best. And like the Super League, it is a closed competition. So there's no promotional relegation at all. So those same teams are just in it all the time. And I don't know how many times I've had the conversation with you, Tim, about how great it would be if the AFL had relegation and you could see those clubs move up and it would be so awesome to have, you know, like, for, you know, uh, what are they called? Swan District. Swan District, I was going to say Bassendine um, or, you know, Claremont or whatever come up into the AFL. And because of the money situation here and distances, it, it, it's a lot harder to do than than in England, but you know, I, I just think it would be, it would be an addition to to the Mm. AFL. Like the AFL doesn't benefit from the closed nature of it. And also the AFL has that equalization that a lot of American sports have with the draft system, which is not the case for the Super League. (laughs) Oh, definitely. I I think that's a good point that you make like about the the comparisons of the different types of leagues and how they run. Mm -hmm. Um, And like, I think traditionally from us watching, you know, um, uh, football and and you know being accustomed to having that promotion and relegation system like that's one that we're naturally sort of drawn to mm. um but yeah you're right like uh, all the american leagues they don't have that um even the mls which also like fifa st- sanctioned the mls and i think it's the only league in the world that they sanction which is a closed league which doesn't have any promotion and relegation a league and a league oh yeah sorry A-League and A-League has no as well. promotion yeah they would be i think that like they're probably the only two, but they needed special sanctions to become these leagues that operate in that way. And they're effectively operating in a similar manner of like a Super League thing where they're trying to share revenues, they're trying to balance things out as much as possible, and they're trying to have a really tight control on their sort of overall product and overall leagues. Like I know the NBA, for example, for like for years, like they've run everything so centralized through their stuff. Like they were broadcasting their games through their own online service. 10, 15 years ago. Mm. Um, they've been making all the broadcast money like yeah. from that. They've been running it all. And it's um like this league format is not new by any stretch. Um, and it's also something that I think certain people are saying, oh, it's because three of these clubs have American owners in like <laughs> Liverpool, yeah. Arsenal and Man U. Mm. But it's not, it's not that yeah. at all. No, well, the, I mean... That ties into the, yeah, the point of that a lot of it is like, oh, well, all the fans from all the other countries want this. 
um, because it would be good for them. Like, I don't want this to happen at all. And Mm. there are a lot of people that I know that live here in Australia that definitely don't want this to happen. Um, And yeah, it's a similar thing where it's like, well, this is the fault of those American owners. (laughs) And like, you know, I I know that, uh, is it Man U and Liverpool apparently are the main drivers of this in in England? Is that? Yeah, the ones have been reported to have not been as keen. And again, we don't really know how true any of this is. But um, the ones have been reported to be not as keen were City and Chelsea. Mm. And apparently they think that they can convince Spurs to pull out as well. Right. And like, so like, it doesn't surprise me that Spurs are in this because they're like, yeah, we need to be in it. If this is happening, we have to be in there. But like on success, like recently, like, Spurs aren't in there on success. Um, well, speaking of those three clubs, um, what I find really interesting is 20 years ago, if this Super League is, you know, these owners come up and they say, look, this is what we're going to do. This is our Super League. They've sent out their invites. Those three clubs are not being invited. So now they are in this, in this group of teams. What, why do they get to lock everyone else out? You know, and there's obvious reasons, but I just think it's so interesting that only 20 years ago, they're not in that club and now they are. And it's just, yeah. No, I think you're right. I think it's that thing of if you've got Man U Liverpool and and they're also the clubs that whenever you talk to supporters um, and you get these like stupid like Twitter arguments of like, oh, we should sign this player. And it's like, oh, they'd never go there. Liverpool's a bigger club. Man, he's a big club. Look how many trophies we won on the 80s. And you're just like, <laughs> geez, we didn't, how do we even get into this like vortex? Yeah. Um, but it does seem like traditionally, like, you know, over the last 30, 40 years, they've been bigger clubs. And it does seem like that in a way, um, you know, teams like, um, you know, Spurs, Chelsea, Man City are being pulled into this to kind of make up the numbers because, it's like, well, if we get them in, if we drag them in, and probably Arsenal as well to an extent, um, we get them in, then we've got the numbers, then we've got some some brute force here. Whereas if Man and Liverpool just went off and did it by themselves, um, there's nowhere near enough sort of support for that. It's also something too. Chelsea, Man City are owned by billionaire, billionaire, billionaire owners who have very happily injected a lot of money into their clubs over the last 15, 20 years. They do not need extra money. Mm. Um for this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing, right? That it's the rich clubs that are already richer than everyone else now going in and getting more money and their owners who are billionaires getting more money to do what with like, just to accumulate it and like dance around and sing and, you know, like get buried with all your cash. Like I don't, yeah. I think there's also some of these clubs like have extreme debts like mm, yeah is uh, in like not the um not necessarily Chelsea and Man City mm. but like you know some of these like like Real Madrid Barcelona have huge debts mm. so they're like all right we clean up our debts here i'm sure levy is like let's get in there cuz uh ooh, this plays off the stadium mm. um there, there we go um so i think that that's why these you know the teams that have sort of signed up to it inter are absolutely riddled with debt mm. um and run horrendously yeah. In inverted commas, the traditional classical clubs. Yeah. You know, and, and also what's interesting is these clubs, some of them have stadiums which seat like 80,000, 90,000 people, right? There's been no one there for almost two years. So obviously they've lost a lot of money. But even if they do this, 
who's to say, you know, that their fans all go, you know what, once we can come back to that stadium that's got 90,000 seats, we're not going to come and sit in it. That's still heaps of money. And I wonder, I'm sure they've done the numbers. You know, they, they would have forensically examined everything all the way down to, you know, what sanctions can be placed on them. They would know every single minute detail that can, you know, affect what they want because they would have released this knowing how strong their case is. And I think if you're going to take a shot at the king, you better not miss. And I think they'll be pretty confident that they won't. Well, I wonder on that, if uh, like has been threatened, uh, the Premier League kicks these six teams out, like what is – there are a lot of great teams left in the Premier League, but these are the six biggest, richest clubs with the biggest fans that get the most viewers on TV or, you know, stadiums-wise they fill the biggest stadiums. And if they go – what happens to the TV deal? Does Sky, who, you know, pay it in England, do they go, oh, well, it's not worth as much now, so now we spend less money on broadcasting the Premier League? Do they bring clubs up? Like what happens? Can the Premier League actually, if they were to kick them out, can they survive? I I don't think they survive in their current format at all. And I think you're right. Like this instantly affects all those broadcasting revenues for all these local leagues. So the idea to to try and kick these teams out and say, we're going to kick you out, you can't do it. It does seem like, I think Tim, like you were saying earlier, like it's the backs to the wall, instantly defensive move. We're going to kick everyone out. Okay, well, stop it, please. Um, but when you actually do it and sort of run the numbers on it, um, having this Super League and having all the revenue that sort of gets attached to that and broadcasting, that's obviously going to a lot of the share is going to go there. So naturally these leagues would have their rights reduced anyway. But if you got rid of all these teams, it's like they the, the, the money in those leagues just goes down massively. And like, I mean, Sky, like Sky are like a parasitic organization as well. Mm. And like throughout the pandemic, like they were charging fans, you know, like 15 pounds to view a game. So yeah. like Sky aren't going to suddenly turn around and go like, you know what, we're going to stand by you here and still give you a lot of cat. Like they're going to just absolutely turn the screw and go like, all right, we'll give you 50 pounds to broadcast your, you know, the Premier League for the season now. Mm. Well, I mean, that uh, you've spoken on a really good point there where like FIFA and UEFA, Sky have come out in the last two days being like, unbelievable, we love football in this country and Gary Neville's up there being like, I can't believe it, how terrible a man that's made millions and millions of dollars from football being commercialised in the Premier League. I can't believe how terrible this is. We're the good guys. Everyone's trying to be the good guys at the same time. And it's like, well, it's all so cooked. <laughs> and, and you know, the more people that weigh in on this, the more hopefully that the layers will be pulled back and it's like, well, you're actually doing this and you're doing this and you're doing this. And we get an independent regulator like, been, like that has been talked about before, you know, or so, there is some change. Well, you are right. People do are getting put like, and Gary Neville as well. Like, what have they done with Salford City? Mm. Like, that's taking a low club, um, injecting some money in there, bringing them up through the leagues. Yeah. Like, it's the same thing. Mm. Like, it's all part of the same thing. You had like um, David Beckham came out and he put up a post on Instagram today because um, obviously of his um, ownership of Inter Miami, and he's been like, oh, you know, football's about the fans, this, that, everything else, and it's like, 
you're in a closed league. <laughs> like you're benefiting from this same stuff. Like you can't come out and actually just, you know, suddenly now point the finger at everyone else when everything you've done is part of the problem. Mm. Like, and like, yeah, like Neville has like, he's profited for years off football, like massively. Mm. Um, so it's, there's just so much hypocrisy all over the place at the moment. Yeah. Well, it's like, I mean, the FA and Sky and UEFA are just upset because their money, uh, their money, their hands have been taken out of the cookie jar or money jar, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but that's why they're so upset because they've been just like eating as many money cookies <laughs> as they can for the last 20. This is such a bad metaphor. No, the last, please keep going with yeah, the metaphor. Okay. And the money cookies, they've got little bits of gold on them and they're crunching them down with their big, teeth <laughs> the big rich teeth um i just think it's like yeah now that the people feel like they're getting screwed that have been screwing other people they're you know crying to the public i, I think um you know there's been a lot of talk about the idea of the 50 plus one rule that they have mm. in germany and like you know i think that would be amazing i think you know they should have that in the premier league but i think and just to clarify that is 50 percent ownership plus one share needs to be owned by supporters, yes. right? So they have a, like a majority vote. Yeah. So an owner can only own 49.9999% of a club. Is that right? I'd have to clarify. That <laughs> well, something to that extent. Like yeah. It's that, so someone can't buy in and, and buy majority ownership of a club unless you're Red Bull. Um, <laughs> and I think that why people hate Red Bull in Germany is that they, because they were in like, you know, the third division or something a few, you know, mm. five, 10 years ago, whenever it was. Um, and then they only had like 14 shareholders who all worked at Red Bull. Mm. So I think that's why Red Bull are a hated club because it's like they've gotten around that. And in, in Germany, um, I think, I know this is a bit of a sidetrack to, to <laughs> think, but I think to back to your point, like there's so much hatred in Germany and like they have so much integrity of like having clubs that are not majority owned by um mm by one person or one commercial entity. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I, I will, yeah. And I, what I was going to say, I suppose, is that uh, as good as that, you know, it would be if you implemented that in, in England or, or whatever country, I think that every owner in the Premier League would fight that because like they're all wealthy and, you know, they have a lot of like, control and, that would mean that they would therefore have to give up a large percentage of the club mm. and, you know, it wouldn't be solely in their hands. Maybe there would be some clubs that would be fine with it. I'm sure there would be a lot of clubs that wouldn't be. Um, it would be a great solution. But, again, I think it's another thing that I couldn't really see happening either. Um, yeah. It's just the whole the whole system is fraught really isn't it because like what you're talking about a, an independent regulator which is probably very much needed there's never been anyone to check and, and football forever has always been you know as much as it's always been the working man's sport they've still the clubs have always been owned by wealthy people individuals you know you just have to go through like the last hundred years and a lot of those clubs still had a very rich person at the top because there was no regulation and they could just, you know, make decisions on clubs and um, it's not new. It's just gotten to a point where it's so out of control that trying to reel it in is like, how, do, how does anyone do that? 
Oh, definitely. And it seems like the sister, it's so, like that behavior is so rooted within the system. Um, and even, I was just thinking as well, like, you know, even the Premier League, that came out of teams breaking away from like the football leagues previously. There was still that tether, obviously, of the promotion relegation, but they broke away and were like, let's form this thing. And because then you had like League One, League Two. And then the championship go, hang on, well, let's make the championship and try and like pull together this product to sort of make more, um, more money. So it's like wherever you look, it's like people are just looking at football clubs as and the football industry, the game as a whole, as it's commercial enterprise for everyone that's getting involved with it now, mm-hmm. which is why I think you're right. Like, you know, you're not going to be able to go to like, you know, the English clubs and go, you know what, we're bringing in this new rule where uh, you need to actually sell 50% um, back to the fans right now um, and, and try and enforce that. Like it's <laughs> like these clubs are worth some of them billions of pounds. Mm. Um, and it's just like, you know, the, how do people get billions of pounds? Usually not by caring about anyone else. Mm, exactly. And, but, and maybe like this whole thing, you know, if it doesn't manage to, to get up on its feet and get going and let's say governments in, interfere and they say that it's not happening and they start implementing new legislation, in an ideal world that legislation forces the whole ecosystem of football to start abiding by new rules, whether they like it or not, right? It's it's a watershed moment in football really, isn't it? And we don't really know which way it's going to go, but it's hopefully shocks everyone and, and gets things going in the right direction. Yeah, and I think as well, like I know we're sort of, you know, jumping back here, but like when you said it's like, you know, watershed for everyone, um, it's like, you know, we spoke about earlier, like UEFA and FIFA have been so corrupt in so many different ways blatantly. And this really is also sort of an example that they've really just lost control of things. And we've got to a stage now where these big, huge clubs have gone, you know what, we've had enough of this. We don't care about your regular, like you're getting done for bribes, you're getting done for this, you're getting done for everything. Um, You know, UEFA, even like bringing in financial fair play. (laughs) What a joke that was. Yeah, it was ridiculous. And it was like, oh, naughty boy. (laughs) Naughty boy, you don't get any cookie. Yeah, Um, a money cookie. Nice, thank you for bringing that back. That's great. Yeah, You didn't get the money cookie this week, but that's fine. You can come and have dinner next week. I know Mm. we said we'd ban you from coming around for dinner for a year, but no, you can come around next week. Um, I'm getting lost in this (laughs) (laughs) Keep on going. Everyone's eating cookies in this analogy for dinner. (laughs) And week after week after after week. Week after week, Friday night, they are eating those money cookies. I think, you know, if you look at sort of like why this has occurred in terms of individual club motivation, like for the Spanish clubs, it's like, well, they're in huge amounts of debt and people don't want to watch Real and Barca play Getafe or Espanol. Well, I mean, Espanol and Barca maybe, yeah. But, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, or in... You know, in Italy, it's like Juve versus whoever. <laughs> I couldn't think of it. But I was also going to say, to your point about, like, say, Espanol Barca, like, that's yeah. a particular interest to Espanol and Barca. Mm. But I'm sure that there aren't people all around the world going, I can't wait to see the yeah. Espanol Barca. So mm. I, your point, I think, is right that even unless it's the Real Madrid Barca game, mm. there's not that interest there. And similarly in Italy. Yeah. So there's not, but in the Premier League, what we have is that. There are, well, first of all, there is a top six. It's not a top one or a top two. Um, There are six teams that have a lot of money. And then below them 
you know, your West Ham's and your Everton's and um, your Southampton's even, you know, their wealth has increased and increased and increased and increased because of the TV rights deals and the Premier League being the product that it is that's so sellable around the world. So that then what happens is that these clubs now have more money and they can compete for players with clubs that would have been on a similar level in other leagues. They can get those players, which then weakens those leagues and strengthens the Premier League. So those leagues are getting weaker while the Premier League is getting stronger. Mm. And if you're those big clubs in those leagues, you're going, this is not good for us because, you know, because the spectacle of the league, if you're thinking about the league as a product, isn't as good because you don't have that competitiveness. So they're saying, let's get out of here and play these, yeah, Avengers blockbuster ties for the money cookie. Um, I've tried to tie it all. Yeah, like is that, it nice. yeah that was that, yeah. Um, and like you can get that motivation, but also it's like, well, Real and Barca, you get your own TV rights deals. No one else gets any of that money. So why don't you share that and make your own league better? Like don't try and just like, cut the head off five other leagues so that you can earn more money. It's the whole thing is so fueled by greed. Definitely. I also think though, and this might be on the more controversial side, but there's with this whole system of what you're talking about, like there hasn't been much of a concern in the past for, for um, specific teams to other teams in their league. Um, And even that comes from the fans as well. Like now we're all up in arms about this and saying it's horrendous. It's horrendous, horrendous. But you know, being Spurs fans, what are we doing each season? Each summer we're going, the club needs to spend a hundred million pounds <laughs> yeah. on players. The club needs to go and pillage these other teams. And like, I was like, well, we need to get Grillish. We should take, Grealish. oh, we could have had, we should have got him taken like Villa's best player, their yeah. standout player who is allowing them to compete in, you know, as, as well as they have been this season. And like in the past, we're like, well, we should have got him. We should have got him. We slag off the club like no tomorrow <laughs> when we don't invest a hundred million pounds. We're not sitting here going, if we're spending all this money on players, how does that like impact like a Burnley? Mm. Like, does that impact them negatively if we're throwing out so much cash and spending all this and we want our team to do it? Like, as a club, sorry, as a supporter base, we've never done that before. Mm. But now it's suddenly it's like we all have this moral high ground about sort of spending and and um, and money. So, I mean, this isn't to have a go at all supporters, but mm. in a way it's like, you know, we have fed into this whole system as well um, in more ways than we think that we probably have. Yeah. Yeah, we are part of the ecosystem. We're on the very fringe of it and we're like very unhealthy little bugs. <laughs> <laughs> but we're getting eaten by the frog. I don't know who the frog is. The frog is uh, Optus Sport. Optus Sport? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've got, they're unscathed in this so far. Let's drag them. Yeah, into let's this. drag them back down into it. Um, how do you feel, Tim, with Chelsea being involved as one of the clubs, the breakaway clubs? It doesn't feel nice. No. Like, I'm sure that all the clubs of those 12. You know, from any of those countries, they're probably not happy about it. It, um, it felt like a punch to the gut. I don't know how it felt for you, but yesterday for me was a pretty, pretty crappy day. You know, when it when it all came out, and um, I think it like it, it begs the question of if if it does go ahead, 
what does it mean for us? Like who support these clubs? Mm. And if it doesn't, well, what's our relationship with those clubs? Because like I don't think you can just forget about it. And so it's, you know, there's a – it feels like there's a clear and apparent disregard for the fans and supporters who go to the matches on mm. match day, who live in the country, who support from afar, who have an emotional connection that's greater than just watching a product. Because as much as, you know, we can you – no, know, I'm not naive in the fact I understand it's a business, but, but football clubs are more than a business. And I understand that some people, you know, just – they don't understand like it's just – they think it's just a sport. But it isn't like these – whether they're, they're massive clubs like Chelsea or Tottenham or they're the small clubs in Winchester, they are like a community organisation. You know, people, they congregate over the weekend. They spend their entire weekends going to the games or, or catching up with friends. And, and it is almost like, in a way, like a church, right? Mm. And so that needs to be guarded more. There needs to be more... I don't know, laws and, and things that protect that. And I know I've kind of not fully answered your question. I've gone on a bit of a, a long-winded mm. um I've gone spiel. on about five, so. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's just, I don't know. It's, yeah. I, I think there's a good point in there um, about that, that they are more than just clubs. But there is where I think the disconnect also comes in that that's what fans who are really into the club see them as. But I think these neutral fans don't see them as that they just see them and they, they, they see the product of like the, the top quality football. Um, but then the owners and everything, they see it as a business. They see it as huge business mm, and they don't course. see it as, um, you know, as a sort of community club. And I think this is also where, what we we're talking about before of like, if we're demanding as fans and saying, we want this, we want this, we want to shine a new stadium. We want this. We want the best players in the world. We want to pay this person this much. It's like when, we're pushing that system to move away from a community-based sense of clubs mm. um, to begin with. Like the more that we want as fans and the greedier that we become for like having success and we and the more that we have to buy success, um, it to me it just removes us from that whole community sort of feel. And I think as well the interesting thing here is like um, if you said, you know, now you feel like it's you know, like a punch in the gut to have this, like how did you feel when like Abramovich started bringing all this money into Chelsea um, and you know, likewise as well, like when Man City started doing that as well, because it could be argued too, to an extent that like, that's when we first saw this real injection of cash start coming into these clubs, um, and really start transforming the game financially. Yeah. Well, I was too young when Abramovich took over. So, um, I, I don't know. I don't really have... An opinion. I, I, also, sorry, I, I don't mean this to feel like it's an expose no, interview. Yeah. Excuses, <laughs> excuses. Yeah, this is why we had you on, Tim. Yeah, this is the real point. Of the, of it's the your story. fault. Um, so, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I don't remember that. So, for me, that's mm. really all I've known. Um, I, I didn't support the club based on that. It was my dad's club and became my club if... If he was a Crystal Palace fan, I would have been a Crystal Palace fan. Totally. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I suppose looking at, at City is probably a good example in terms of looking at it from an external point of view because, yeah, as, as a fan of my club, it, 
seeing these exciting players come in, or they were already there from when I, when I remember, was exciting. Um, you know, they're seeing your Drogba's and your Lampard's and like these kind of people that are incredible footballers was was pretty special. And then I suppose as you get older, there's an expectation that players like that are still going to be there. So you're right in that this sense of um, like we demand, you know, this level now and we're that's a part of the problem, I suppose. But in terms of looking towards like someone like City, it's, yeah, when they came in, I suppose if anything, you're just like, here's another team that's going to do the same thing and it's more competition. Uh, I, to be perfectly honest, was probably just thinking from a, like a uh, selfish perspective, <laughs> you know. Oh, totally. And this is not to say as well, like, hey, every Chelsea fan should feel guilty about something happening because, like, investments coming in from all over the place for these clubs and to Spurs as well. Mm. Like, we're getting investment coming in, yeah. <laughs> like from external sources. Um, I just guess I mean it's like it seems like if there was something to be done to kind of lower these clubs in terms of stop them from getting so out of hand. Um, it feels like the governing bodies needed to do that a while ago. Um, there were already obviously some clubs which were huge, but, mm. you know, like you have PSG, like, you know. How are they not in the Super League, <laughs> by the way? The most evil club. How are they not in it? Maybe that's why they're not at the moment because they're just kind of like, well, we'll just stay out of uh, all this. We're a state-owned club. Yeah. Uh, which is, like, that, what? And Man City as well. Like, they're state-owned clubs. Like, mm. what? It's ridiculous here. Um, but again, it's like FIFA and UEFA didn't do anything then um, to no. sort of like curb any of that. So, and, and it's, I also acknowledge as well that it's a very difficult situation to be in. Like you go for a team and then your team gets bought out. Like you could have spent 20 years of your life supporting that team. Um, I don't think then suddenly, like I'm not going to accuse someone who still goes for a team and going like, well, uh, you're, you're, you know, look at you, you still sell support out. Chelsea. Uh, yeah. So you still support Chelsea, you still support Man City, what a sellout. Mm. Um, how could you do that? How can you sleep? You're a, you're a fake fan. None of that because it's a lot deeper than that, the connection that people have with their clubs. Like mm. you say, like your dad, it's your dad's club. Mm. You are only ever going to go for Chelsea. Um, it's just like, but the game's just in such a financial mess all over the place. Mm. Um and and now we find ourselves here where yeah. the Avengers are emerging yeah. from, <laughs> the, from the rubble. The Avengers are emerging and they are awful. <laughs> um, I, I wonder if it's like, like if Spurs, we've talked about this before, but if Spurs got bought out, um, like you'd be like, uh, you know, whoever's going to buy them out is going to, if they're a billionaire, they're going to have done some, some bad stuff. Uh, it, you're gonna. It's gonna be like, uh, well, but also we have all this money, say, and now we can compete. Now we're gonna compete at the top of the Premier League. Did any part of you? Because I know I felt this when the Super League got announced. I was like, that's gross. I feel very gross that Spurs are a part of it. I, I'm very unhappy that this is this is even being proposed. But also I was like, well, better to be in it. <laughs> like, you know, because for the clubs that aren't in it, it's like what the hell is going to happen to the, if it takes off? Yeah, I guess, you know, from a selfish perspective, I was like, well, phew. Daniel Levy, like I feel like we're like hanging on. 
like if everyone's going up in a big balloon, we're like <laughs> hanging off the side of the basket. Like, ah. And Tom's yeah. like, oh, who's that? Oh, Spurs are here. Oh, all right, uh, they can yeah, stay. Yeah, I guess they can stay. I think that's a good point though. And like we ran a poll on our Twitter, which mm. basically put this question to Spurs fans of like, okay, if we were, if Super League goes ahead completely as it is and we are, uh, and, and it goes ahead, like would you prefer us to be in it or would you prefer us to completely take more high ground and go, nut? Nah, we're withdrawing, we're out of this, we'll leave you to it. And it was 46% voted in and 54% said let's withdraw. Mm. Now that is closer than what I thought it would be. Because a lot of the other, all the discussion everywhere is like, get us out, get us out, get us out, get us out. But when we flip the conversation and we go, okay, what if this is going ahead? And what if you can't stop it and there's no way to stop it? Would you prefer us to be in? It changes to, well, well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I prefer, like if they're doing it. Like if they're all like smoking behind the oval, then I want to go and smoke as well. Like. It becomes like very easy to get caught up in that and thinking like, well, if everyone else is breaking the rules and doing something something scummy, like is is their point on us, you know, taking the moral high ground and going, well, no, we, we're a club that collapses in a couple of years because we've raised our operating costs to such a high level already that we need more and more funding and more money to keep running. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, we said we weren't going to do this, but I am going to do it. I've just, <laughs> I've just seen on the, um, Guardian live blog, uh, which is a fantastic, um, that, uh, Boris Johnson has come out and said that, uh, the government needs to drop a legislative bomb to stop it. Uh, and, uh, I'm not sure who's updating the feed now, so I'm sorry that I'm not saying who it is, but, um, they've said, I wonder if the, um, the goal by Johnson is to bring in a bill banning any football in England other than matches organised by the FA because laws like that exist in France and Germany, um, which would obligate the owners of of the English teams involved to uh, expatriate their franchises. Well, then, look, that brings up the thing. It's like, all right, well, what about like the NFL where you have owners who buy a team Mm. and then they go, um, you know what? not working in this market, let's move to a different city. Exactly. And do that. Like there's no, I I think that's what would happen Mm. that if you have, like if this is all going ahead Mm. and then you have these laws come in, um, it wouldn't surprise me if one of these, um, you know, majority owners goes, well, all right, fine. We're, we're moving like, uh, we're moving Manchester United to Kiev. Mm. (laughs) And now we're going to be based over there. Yeah. Chelsea couldn't do that. They, uh, I think we were one of the only clubs, if maybe the only club, where um, the CPO, which is the Chelsea pitch owners, the fans own the pitch. They own the freehold of the ground. Um, In the 90s, uh, the old chairman, they're in a bad financial way. They um, basically lent them the money and then allowed them to buy the ground. And fans can buy a share and they're paying off this debt to the club. Um, and so if they ever want to, i.e. move the stadium somewhere else, they have to get the approval of the CPO. Um, and if they choose to do it without their approval, then they have to relinquish the club name. Right. Okay. So, so then it that- could become Zenit Blues or something. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that's already, you know, what people have been saying that, you know, lily white north. (laughs) It'd be like we're on um, Pro Evo now. Yeah. And you've got all the fake names Mm. of the teams and they're just all based out of the country now. Juan said that Leeds did that with on Twitter or something called uh, called them the Merseyside Reds. Yeah. 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 So, like, it would be um, – it, and I guess why it's like clubs could possibly do this is because if this whole move is being made to really kind of focus on the global supporter base and this this TV revenue, like, there's got to be an argument that says they probably don't give a crap if, like, they have to move somewhere else and move, move a team to a completely other country and play in an empty stadium or just play on, like, a training ground that doesn't have – any fan? I know this is like going quite extreme mm. for a scenario, but it's like it. It seems like at this stage, like clubs, you know, are not really gonna back down from this. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely an extreme thing. I don't think they actually would try and take the clubs elsewhere. But I think if the dream league with was, us a bit, Tim. Sorry, sorry, dream with us. Go on this journey. Dream see what. <laughs> see what. See what sort of depths of madness we yeah. can happen. Where can we go? I think you're, you're definitely right. You're definitely right. That, that's a very very extreme and outlandish statement. But I, what I do think is that if the league was to go ahead, I think you'll see 10%, 20%, 30% of your home matches every season are sold off to a city in somewhere else in the world or maybe they have an alternative home in New York and they play four games in New York, four of their home mm-hmm. games a year in New York. And like that, that 100% will happen. Like... So like the NFL deal with Spurs at the moment where they're supposed yeah, to play. They only play like one or two, don't they? Yeah, but They're supposed to increase. Okay. They're supposed to, inc- they're supposed to play more than that um, from there. But yeah, like that. So I think, yeah, I think it would be a very similar scenario. They can go to a new place. They know they'll fill the stadium because it's probably a massive NFL stadium that seats 90,000 people. And um, I, I think that's where it would go if, if it all, you know, is approved and they go ahead with the league. Every team becomes a traveling circus. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is the, that would be the start of uh, the traveling circus of like Spurs play four matches in New York, the home matches in New York this season, because that's like their affiliate city. Yeah. And then we start seeing that. Brought to you by Amazon. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, brought to you by Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, and then we start seeing that there's more and more games that are Spurs start having more spiritual homes around the world. And then oh, we're playing just, in Beijing this week. Yeah. Okay. Oh, great. Great association with the club. And eventually it just becomes this moving thing that uh, has no ties to place. Well, um, well yeah. it almost then becomes like a merger of, you know, all these, um, all these off-season like warm-up competitions that they have where – you know, it's the the Audi Cup or the whatever it is, the international, mm. all the ones that different that, that pop up all the time. Mm. Like it just becomes like a longer version of that, where, you know, I think it's like this seems like it could be a thing that would happen, um, where they do just travel around and, you know, maybe they get based in a yeah they get based in a city like a bunch of teams for a little while, then they just move out elsewhere and yeah. they move else and they just keep going mm. and play the season a bunch you know around a a number of different continents mm-hmm. and, those, and then fans will go. Fans will go to those games. Mm. Well, it'll be like the Olympics where it's like City's bid to have Spurs call Melbourne their home. Not that we would have a game. Imagine yeah. <laughs> the flights. <laughs> but, you know, it's like 
they become the host city for, or, you know, or even this period of the league and then this period of the league. Yeah, and it, it's like the WWE. That's what it is. No one can get relegated. There's nothing at stake. It's all, I mean, apart from concussion, but, you know, like no, nothing's at stake. Everything's just sort of like for the entertainment value. It's not sport. It's not competition. It's just like, oh, whoa, look, and here comes the Tottenham Hotspur fireworks and and the flying roosters. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I think you're right, and it's like UFC. Like, mm. And if you looked at a sport which has come in kind of out of nowhere, like I know, you know, mixed martial arts have been around for a while, but yeah. in the last sort of like, you know, 15 years or so, like what is a sport which has like come onto the scene and have more of an impact than like UFC? Like yeah. it's huge now. It's followed by so much. Um, and like they do that. They go they go around. They, they do different, mm. you know, different matchups all over the place. Um, you get it in like Formula One. Mm. Like they're going around and, you know, there's 23 races and right. We're doing it this week. We're in Bahrain. This week we're in, um, you know, Italy. Now we're in Portugal. Now we're in Spain. And it just sort of keeps moving around um, that way. And it's like, yeah, look, the more accessible it is for fans all over the place to watch sport on their TVs and then maybe go to a game once a year when this, when the, you know, mm. the team comes to town, like people end up going to paying, be paying more and more for those sort of streaming services to, mm. to, in order to do that. I think those cups that they've been doing – that one that you have on that brochure over there, I think they were the trial. I think they were the experiment. Let's do it. Let's send our clubs around the world. Let's see how many people turn up, how much media fanfare we get. You know, I think that was the experiment to see, you know, will this work in the future if we do it during the season? Um, Sweet, you've joined us with your tinfoil hat now, Tim. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you for joining us. We're all putting on the yeah, tinfoil hats tinfoil right hats now. are on. <laughs> But it's a good point. Like, yeah, I think it's a great point. We, we often think like, oh, the chairman of the club's an idiot because they didn't spend $80 million on buying Scrinia. <laughs> but we're like, no, like the people who – like people don't get into those positions of power and, and with that much wealth by being stupid. Like so, again, this is not trying to say that they're doing good. They could be bad people doing bad things, but they're smart. Mm. Um so it, it would make sense if it's like, you know, all these times when we've been doing these off-season cups, it's not just simply to like, oh, we really want like, we just really want like, you know, Spurs fans in Melbourne to be able to see the team play. It's like, well, let's test out different markets and see, you know, what the interest level is there and try and build that up. And then, all right, now we're here. Like the reports of this Super League, it's, it's been, that you know, it's been this current version of it has been in talks for and negotiations for two years. mm um, so we're all sitting here throughout the last two years going mm. like, why isn't Levy buying players? Why isn't he buying players? Why isn't he buying players? And it's like, well, he's not buying players because he's working on a multi-billion pound deal that he cares more about. So he doesn't give a crap about yeah. spending an extra 50 million to get a player in to help us a bit more this season when he knows that Super League is coming in mm. um, in two years' time. Yeah. I, I couldn't believe the brazenness of... Spurs' uh, official Twitter account was like, we're part of the Super League. Jose Mourinho has been fired. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium has been set up as a vaccination hub for the local community. It was like, <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you doing? Like, th- no one's falling for that. Like, what are you? Uh, I was really I was really pissed off at, at, at Spurs, yes. but then uh, they're giving out vaccine. So uh, yeah, yeah, all out, is forgotten. All is, and Ryan Mason's in charge of the club, <laughs> sir. So, I mean, Super League, why not? <laughs> Season ticket holders get priority. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's like it's a really interesting. Like I think if you look at it completely objectively, and almost as if you weren't a human with and you didn't have any emotions and you were just hovering above this whole scenario, mm-hmm. it's really interesting seeing how this has evolved and how it's sort of playing out. Um, the the bad thing about this for us is that we're in it at the moment as fans going mm. through it. We're not, you know, football historians in 20, 30 years time looking back at this and being able to go, oh, wow, let's actually, well, let's see the data on that. Yeah. Let's just see how that worked out. Like I think that's why it feels so confusing and like painful and like like you said, Tim, like the wind's just been taken out. Like you, you just feel kind of like, just numb about this whole thing because we're the, we're the fans that are in this, um, trying to understand it all and also still trying to like hold on to the support for the clubs that we've grown up loving. Yeah, and I think like there's people I think are really hoping that this will be overthrown or they'll get cold feet. This isn't a game. That they are serious. They wouldn't have done and taken all the steps they have, pulling out of the associations they're in and and announcing all these things if they aren't ready to really go for it and give it a good crack. And I think, you know, they probably believe that the supporters and the people and everyone involved in football won't have the stamina or the fight to give it to them and they'll weather the storm and they probably hope that it will, you know, blow over, people will get tired of the fight and it will go ahead anyway. I'm not sitting here saying that means it's definitely going to go through, but I think they are giving this a good shot because it probably is their only shot at getting this through because if it doesn't, I think maybe will never be. Yeah, it's it's a good point. And it's like, especially with everything that Perez is coming out and saying, he's one of the people pushing it. Like like we, we, we touched on earlier, like his claims are just ridiculous. They're like, Oh, we don't. We, it's basically we don't care about the football fans. We might make games shorter. We don't care. Like, mm. uh, who cares? Um, the reasoning as well that forty percent of young people don't watch football. Where is that statistic from? Which sample did he use to get that forty percent? Mm. Where do they live? Like, what? What? And then also they're like young people. They don't want to. Young people are so busy on their phones. They don't want to sit still and watch a game of football. They like, want to watch TikTok. They want to watch TikTok. Like. Young people watch people stream games for like 12 hours. <laughs> you know, the, the Garn that was on Australian TV, it was 17 hours of the Garn. I watched the majority of that. Like I don't – it's not this attention thing that uh, – which is actually a veiled attempt to be able to make a shorter product and more of a shorter product that they are able to sell to multiple people or more people. Yeah, it's nuts. No, you're definitely right. Mm. Like streaming in general of like watching people play games mm. is massive now. And yeah. it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And like you say, these streams go for, you know, two, three hours is a short, a mm. minuscule stream. Yeah. Like you've got people who tune in and watch their favorite streamer and they'll watch them play eight, ten hours, three times, three, four times a week without a worry at all. And they can just be watching them play FIFA. Mm-hmm. Watching them play like the make believe version of the sport, but they're so, they're just engaged to it and they're they're a lot more entertained to that. So I think you're right. Like this isn't a case where you know young people are going like, oh, can we just have a TikTok version of <laughs> yeah. football where you just get the result in ten seconds? Yeah. Um, it's just looking at it from like 
an old old man perspective yeah. of going like, well, they they like this other thing, so let's just we need to make it more enticing. Oh, what's the way? To, oh, shorter. Um, oh, more this. Oh, that. Oh, everything, mm. um, as opposed to actually really looking at like, all right, how are other markets growing in the sense of like a streaming market, um, where they're managing to hold attention for a lot longer. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's that's what. I am like okay, so it's a bunch of people that are have a lot of money. There, a lot of them are very intelligent, and yet we're getting all this, you know, this drip through of like stuff that I'm like, that is incredibly dumb. Like that is you haven't done research, you haven't thought about how this is going to fly, you have just decided you're going to do it, and then you're just going to try and stonewall until it happens, um, which is uh, baffling to me. Like I don't how bad it is now and maybe people will get tired of complaining about it and then they'll just end up watching it but how bad it is like how do they recover from how bad the pr is about this was it just time people just do you think they underestimated like when you think about these countries that these clubs are in like football is intrinsically built into the culture like it you know, politicians and and people in power are football fans, you know. So imagine people all over the country, whether they're, you know, your everyday person or they're part of running the country. They care about this and they probably care about it deeply. So I wonder, did they like underestimate the degree to which football is a part of people in these countries? Or maybe they just don't care and they think that, they can push it through regardless. I think it's more of the latter where they don't really care. Um, Cause I think to them, it just comes with priorities and they think in a sense of like, we can create this product that we see as the future and they're so, you know, gassed up on their own juice that they're like, this is the future. This is it. This is it. We know what people want. We need to like, um, you know, it's one of those like old advertising things where they're telling it, you know, they were talking about like advertising of like making, you know, you've got a product, but you need to make it like you need to tell people what they want, even mm. if they don't want it beforehand. So it's like introducing a problem and then here's the solution for the problem. Yeah. And people are like, oh, well, I didn't think that was a problem before, but now you think of it. Yeah. I do get mm. itchy feet sometimes <laughs> when I uh, walk around the house. And then suddenly you've got like an, uh, a floor a, rakes. Floor rakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I honestly feel like this, they just don't care. And they see like we're we're in the future. We're going to get there. We're not going to miss out. We're going to be the ones at the table. Um, screw FIFA. Screw UEFA. Screw everyone else. We're mm. going to be the ones in control of this. And we know what's best for people. Um, we know what people are going to want in five, ten years. And I'm not saying I agree with that, but I think that that's what they genuinely believe. That they're like, we think this is creating the most lucrative product that's going to make us rich, but. In order to do that, people need to buy into it to watch it. So they just, I think they honestly think that like this is what people want and what the future mm. will be. I think a really scary thing was um, I listened to a really, really good podcast this morning that The Extra Inch did with the um, heads of the Tottenham Supporters Trust. And one of the things they talked about is that in meetings with Daniel Levy, they'll say, well, the fans don't want X, they don't want Y. This is what the fans want. So don't you can't go against the fans. And his response in that meeting was, but I'm a fan as well and this is what I want, which to me is the like 
the most gross, like evil <laughs> response being like, but I'm a fan of Tottenham. So um, this is what I want. So I'm going to do it. It's like, to- totally. I-, I think as well, like the interesting thing that comes out of that, this all is that, you know, um, from a psychological perspective, like there are a lot of people who do bad things who never s- didn't start out setting out to do a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but they just get in there. They're in such a distorted reality mm. and they're in such a removed world that they think that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, and like Daniel Levy has been running this club for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some commercial aspects, he's done well for the club to lift it up. In other aspects, he's been removed from being just a fan of a football at a football game for over 20 years. Yeah. So his idea of like what a fan like him sitting in his like, you know, corporate suite at the stadium yeah. wants is very, very different to what someone who's, you know, working a few hours a week to afford a ticket um, or even something. I mean, Spurs ticket prices through the roof. So mm. working, you know, a day or two <laughs> to be able to afford to go to a game. It's, it's just so disconnected. Mm. Yeah. I mean, that's madness. I mean, that, uh, you know, has been floated around as well that the ticket prices, how expensive and extortionate they are. And people do, that is their, that's the thing that they do. They go to the games and that's it. And the rest of the money that they have goes on rent and food. And, and that's all they uh, that's all they get, which makes you realise, especially here, if you go to the AFL, you can go for $17. And I hope that never, ever, 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 ever changes. Isn't it even going back to the age thing? Yeah. Isn't, and the ticketing, isn't it a thing that within the grounds, it's an ageing demographic because of the ticket prices? Yes, yeah. Younger people, university students, newly grads, whatever it may be that you do, when you're a younger person, you likely have less money. And so there's less of them in the ground, whereas, you know, in the, the 80s there was, you know, loads of young people and obviously there was all the other crap that came with it then. But there was a lot of young people in the grounds, hence all like the chants and all that kind of thing. So that's another thing to add to it, that if they're saying that young people aren't engaged, when obviously they are engaged, but if, you, if they continue to keep their ticket prices at a higher margin, then who's mm. coming anyway? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I think your point's right, like also not just on the ageing, but yeah, definitely just on like you know, the class, like it's definitely was, you know, a, a sort of more like working class game back in the day. But now to be at the stadium, you like, especially if you're a young person and you're going with like a parent, like they've got to be doing relatively well mm. to be able to just afford to go on there. So you'd think as well that like the disconnect is also happening between like the actual fans who are going to games. Like it's a very expensive thing to go to a game now. So I guess if you're making the product more and more for those sort of people um, who are can be more demanding about things and less sort of grateful <laughs> for, for certain things, it's not making the game, you know, more appealing to someone who can spend £10 on a ticket mm. to go. Yeah. And Oh, no, you, please. Um, I, I just thought of this, but a little bit offbeat, but I was just thinking about like the structure and the nature of this competition – Let's say they get their 15 permanent members and they have their five that come in. There's still going to be a top four or a top six. I guarantee you there will be probably four clubs that will always be around that top echelon mark for whatever reason. They're, they're older, so they have more commercial interests or they have a wider you know, expanse in the world with their fandom. And I just think that like of those clubs that sign up, some of them are going to be worse off. And I think some of them are going to be at the top and then... 
what stops in 10, 20, 30 years' time that four or five, six of the clubs go, well, we make more money than you, so you know what? You're either out of the league or we're going to go make our other league called the Emperor's League. Like, Space League. You know, like... <laughs> I love that space league. So can we hang on? Can we go from Super League to Emperor's League to Space League? Like yeah. no, there's no there's no promotion. Yeah, in that you're invited to play on Elon Musk's uh, planet that he's built. You're invited. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I think like the other thing is like, what is the point? Like Spurs say Spurs are yeah, they're coming thirteenth every year in that league. Um, like, what are they playing for? What's the point? Mm. Like. Oh, oh, this year we came, we came 12th. Oh, cool. What does that mean? Uh, uh, well, um, we get $1 billion more dollars and everyone else is being, being paid $100 billion every, like, I don't know. Like, it's no, just, no, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's a valid thing. And, and it's like, again, it's almost like thinking what people want and then trying to give them a solution that doesn't actually ask them what the solution that they want is. Yeah. So it's like, oh, you wanted to keep Harry Kane at the club for his whole career, didn't you? Mm. We're paying him $50 million a season now. Isn't this what you wanted? Yeah. Didn't you want him here the whole career? And it's like, yeah, no, like it would have been nice for him to stay his whole <laughs> yeah. career, but like through actually, you know, doing better in the in the league and like winning things. And uh, so we got you the goal, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> we got you Kane staying here for Forever now. Yeah. yeah. He's not ever leaving. <laughs> We've signed up for his whole life. He'll stay. And you're like, no, 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 evil man. This is not what we meant. Yeah. This and is now, not what we wanted. And now I have your heart in this box <laughs> and I'll shovel it away. You'll never see that again. Yeah. It's, uh, you're right. It's uh, finding a solution for a problem that, that doesn't exist. Well, it does exist, but not with it. It's not compatible with this solution. Yeah. Um, we've been talking for a long time. <laughs> Does anyone have any final comments on uh, the Super League um, or uh, anything else Spurs related or Chelsea, Tim? Uh, nope. Um, I wonder if there'll be any Phoenix Phoenix clubs that um, are created out of this. Uh, like Rising from the Ashes? Mm. Oh, like we nice. might get like Hotspur Tottenham or something. Yeah, go play down the road yeah. on the local green. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what was that? Was what, um, was it when Man U were taken over and then the, the team, it was like, what was it? It was like, you kind of looked cool. United Manchester or something yeah. like that. It was like, or Manchester football or something like that. was like born. United FC, maybe, I think. They might yeah, be something like that. Yeah. I think if clubs do go th- through with all this and it does get really messy like that, you could end up getting some. Um, some people going, oh yeah, oh screw it, let's let's create like the Spurs of Tottenham. All right, yeah, <laughs> we'll start like Division Twelve, <laughs> and then gradually work their way up. Um, uh, the interesting thing here is like we're recording this on Tuesday night mm-hmm. our time, which is a uh, early um, sort of Tuesday afternoon in England, and mm. this could change so quickly in the next few days. Yeah. Um, I'm sure in the time that we spent recording this, when we go and check everything afterwards, there's probably going to be a whole bunch more updates on things that are happening. So in terms of like final thoughts, like it's like this whole thing, it's, I almost can't believe like this feels like a bit of a fever dream. Like I, I can't believe that it's, it's like we're in, in, in a badly written episode of Black Mirror. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, what is what is going to happen? Mm. Like you give this to basically to the end of the week. Um, we'll, like we'll see where we are in a couple of days. 
Yeah. Because it's like, who knows? Who knows where we're going to be? Mm. Yep, exactly. I mean, exactly. It's so, it's moving so quickly. Um, things keep on changing. This might be out of date in, in the next five minutes. Um, I know Ryan Mason's about to go on for his first press conference, which is very exciting to watch. Um, yeah. I mean, just stay tuned. We'll be back. We're going to do Southampton and uh, the cup final in the same part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're going to do uh, – we're going to watch South Southampton game this week. Mm-hmm. Um, predictions? What predictions? I reckon we win. I reckon we win uh, two – no, three one. I reckon we come out and give it like a 7-2. Oh. It's yeah. so hopeful, but yeah. I think we need something to rally behind <laughs> yeah. right now. Tim, what are your predictions on Spurs Southampton? I like 3-1. I think that's a, a pretty fair prediction. Oh, you didn't like 7-2? <laughs> Maybe it'd be 10-5. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what about City predictions? Um, I think I think we lose 2-1. Okay, see, I'm going to say that we win 3-1. Actually, I changed because I said 2-2 against Everton and that's what happened. Yeah. So now I've realised I'm magic. So You are the oracle. Yeah, I'm the oracle. So I'm going to say we win uh, 2-1. Okay, 2-1. <laughs> yeah. I'm only saying 3-1 because I think, um, yeah, I going into this game, I want to be watching it with that positive mindset of like we're going to mm-hmm. win, we're going to win. Mm-hmm. If we then lose, I can deal with it. It's yep. fine. We've mm-hmm. dealt with big losses before. Yeah. We lost in the Champions League. We we can do it, all right? Yeah. We can bounce back from it. We're all good. But I want to be watching this game with the thought that we actually can win. So I'm going to go 3-1. Sweet. Uh, I'm going to say it finishes 1-1 through extra time and it goes to penalties and I think Man City win. Get out. <laughs> this is the last time Tim is invited yeah, to the Go podcast. out to your bloody space league, mate. you what if Kane recovers? Penalty master. If Kane recovers mm. and there's no – actually, no. If Kane recovers, then maybe you win. Speak your truth, Tim. I was going to say if Kane recovers and there's no De Bruyne, then you win. But if De Bruyne is in the team, City wins. Okay. Um, what if Pep Guardiola <laughs> goes blind and deaf um, just temporarily for the game? Phil Foden becomes manager of Manchester City. Okay. Okay. What if um, Carl Walker brings um, a, a pack of um, M&Ms to the game and they have it before the game, like in the mm. warm-up, they all have an M&M. He's like, hey, guys, let's have an M&M. It'll get I us can up imagine for the game. him doing that. <laughs> hey, guys, yeah, this yeah. is going to get us up for yeah. it. A bit of that sugar hit. But it turns out that the M&Ms are expired and everyone kind of gets sick mm. and they all start vomiting before the game and they're feeling a bit out of it. Sun scores a hat trick, and we win. And, and we, we win. win. There we go. Fantastic. That's what we <laughs> oh, thanks, Tim. Great prediction. We got there. <laughs> um, I have been Barney. I've been Dan. This has been a bit spursy. Oh, and this has been Tim. <laughs> and this has been Tim. <laughs> uh, <laughs> thanks very much for listening. If you've stuck through to the end, uh, you're an absolute trooper, uh, and you are a hero fighting against the uh, Super League. We also have to apologise. We did say if we didn't beat Everton, we were going to go and do an in-depth breakdown of the Mandela effect. Oh, yeah. Uh, we've had to push that back we to have. a future date, TBC. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if anyone was listening through to the end of this and going, I'm glad you've covered all that, but I was really here for the Mandela effect breakdown, uh, we're very sorry about that, but we'll, we'll get to it on a future episode. We will. Don't, do not worry. You've been listening to A Bit Spursy. 
follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Email us at hello at abitspursy.com and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms.